0: It is a pleasure to have you back here today. We have a great episode for you, but a little bit of housekeeping before we jump in. I want to take a moment to acknowledge, thank, and tell you a little bit about our sponsors. So number one, we have Bioptimizers and Sleep Breakthrough. Now, did you know that there is one phase of sleep that almost everyone fails to get enough of? And this one phase of sleep is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation, repair, controlling hunger and weight loss hormones, boosting your energy, and so much more. Of course, you all know that I'm talking about deep sleep. And let me tell you, not getting enough of this crucial phase of sleep can literally wreak havoc on your life. It's like a never-ending battle with cravings, a sluggish metabolism, and frankly, it can even drive premature aging. So why are most people missing out on this crucial phase? Well, one major factor is a magnesium deficiency. Can you believe that over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium? But here's the thing. Magnesium is a total game changer when it comes to sleep. It actually boosts GABA, which promotes relaxation on a cellular level. And that's a huge deal for a good night's rest. So before you rush off to buy a magnesium supplement, you need to know that most of the products out there only have one or two forms of magnesium. But it turns out that your body needs all seven forms of this essential sleep mineral. And this is why I recommend and personally use Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The deep sleep benefits are really noticeable. So to get your hands on some, just visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat and order now. And in addition to the discount you get by using promo code BIONAT10, there are always amazing gifts with purchase. And that's another reason why I love shopping with BioOptimizers. So go now to magbreakthrough.com to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out what this month's gift with purchase is. Now, let's talk a little bit about today's episode. Imagine a world where you could restore balance to your body, combat chronic diseases, and improve health trajectories through a deep understanding of your microbiome. And this is exactly what we're exploring today with businesswoman-turned-research-scientist Martha Carlin, who embarked on this incredible journey after her husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's at a very young age. Her captivating research has led to groundbreaking connections between the microbiome and the onset of chronic diseases such as Parkinson's, which is what her husband developed 20 years ago. And she believes that restoring the microbiome could make a substantial difference in our overall health. We're diving into the complex world of microbial peptides, toxins, and pathogens, particularly their influence on the body's immune system. We also discussed the potential links between copper, iron, and neurological diseases, and how copper's role in iron regulation could have far-reaching implications. Martha's fascinating insights also shed light on the connection between glyphosate, food contamination, and how it could be affecting our health. This episode is chalk a block full of incredible information. Martha Carlin is a citizen scientist, systems thinker, wife of Parkinson's warrior, John Carlin, and founder of the Bio Collective, a microbiome company expanding the reach of science. And I'm, I met Martha Carlin last summer, and she is a really, truly impressive woman. Since John's diagnosis in 20, 2002, Martha began learning the science of agriculture, nutrition, environment, infectious disease, Parkinson's pathology, and so much more. In 2014, when the first research was published showing a connection between the gut bacteria and two phenotypes of Parkinson's, Martha literally quit her former career as a business turnaround expert and founded the BioCollective to accelerate the discovery of the impact of gut health on all human health, including Parkinson's. And out of that collective, she's developed a line, Biotic Quest, of microbiome support formulas, probiotics that can make an incredible impact on the way that your body deals with glyphosate and sleep and sugar metabolism and so much more. So I'd like to thank Biotic Quest for their sponsorship of this episode. And they have given us a very generous discount, Nat 10 to get 10% off anything that you buy at their store at bioticquest.com. Okay. Now, One last thing, one more sponsor to thank before we jump into the episode is Berkeley Life. If you haven't already considered adding nitric oxide to your daily routine, here's a few reasons why you should. Your body has over 60,000 miles of blood vessels and nitric oxide plays a vital role in ensuring that blood circulates properly through the process of vasodilation. And as we age, we stop making so many things, Our bodies naturally produce less nitric oxide, resulting in reduced blood flow and less efficient circulation of oxygen, nutrients, and glucose. Personally, I rely on Berkeley Life for my nitric oxide support because genetically, I know that I don't make enough. So I just take two dietary nitrate capsules in the morning, and that totally does the trick for me. The more I discover by nitric oxide and its positive effects on hormone balance and oxidative stress, the more I encourage my clients to incorporate Berkeley Life's EVZ to use daily supplement into their wellness routine. You can find Berkeley Life's high quality supplements at berkeleylife.com. And for a special offer, be sure to use my code NIDDBL when you sign up and check out for a 10% discount on your first order. So once again, that's berkeleylife.com. And use my practitioner code, NIDDBL, when you sign up. Hey guys, one last thing before you jump into the episode. I just want to take a moment to thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your support. And to remind you that if you get value from this episode, please make sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your network. And if you're feeling inspired today, please make sure to leave us a review because that's what allows this podcast to rise up the ranks and allows me to get more great, great guests for you guys. And if you want to connect with me personally, then you can find me either on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group or go to natnidham.com and learn about my private membership community on Mighty Networks called BSP. Just look for the tab at the top that says BSP Community and you can learn all about it there. And last but not least, if you're a woman and you're looking for a retreat to go to this fall... I'm hosting a retreat November 1st to 6th in beautiful Cabarete in the Dominican Republic. It's a resilience and longevity retreat, and it is packed full of amazing stuff. If this even is remotely interesting to you, go to natnidham.com, go to the retreat tab at the top and learn more, and maybe book a Zoom call with me to learn more and to see if this is a fit for you. All right, without another moment to wait, let's just jump into the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Martha Carlin, welcome to the show. This is such an
1: overdue conversation. I'm
0: really excited about it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited about it too. Um, from meeting you last August to now, we've had a few hurdles to get to this point, but um, I'm excited about our talk.
0: Yeah, no. So so Martha, let's just jump right in, right? So you started off in a very different career. And is it 20 years now? Is it 20 years yes. ago? Yeah. yeah. So you were moving on, minding your own business and your corporate job. Life was good. And then your husband got sick and everything changed. So maybe you just want to talk briefly about that so that people get context about how you went from businesswoman to research scientist <laughs> um, with a whole team of scientists around you. So, and yeah, that tell us about how the heck we're sitting here today.
1: Sure. So I actually s- started, you know, I came out of school with a degree in accounting, which is kind of the original system, went to work for Arthur Anderson. Um, and they trained us in something called transaction flow review, which is how you look at business risk in a business. And, you know, we would draw these maps of everything flowing through the business. And you start to look at those flows and look for the breakpoints, which is where you identify your business risk. And so then over my career, I you know just became progressively more of an operations and business turnaround expert and in 2002 John was 44 we had two young children and i had a uh older child from another marriage and he was diagnosed with parkinsons at and 44 he, at wow. 44 you know had always been very healthy or w- appeared to be very healthy he was a marathon runner you know um and I sort of looked at how the the doctor approached it and, you know, it's like, here's a pill. There's nothing you can really do. It's going to be progressive. And, you know, I was like, I think this is a systems problem. And so I, and I've always been uh, a problem solver. You know, I never take much at face trained as an auditor. You learn to not take things at face value and to examine the evidence for yourself. Yeah. And so, I started yeah, I, or strike fear
0: into the hearts of people like me who are messy with their, <laughs>
1: yeah. well, so I, you know, I started down this path of looking at, um, the system, mm-hmm. like what's blowing through the system. And so I, you know, probably the first five years I studied, you know, our food, uh, the chemicals we use on our food, nutrition, um, all these different things that had happened in the last 50 years or so to our food supply. And I tried to understand, okay, well, there wasn't even that much organic food back then. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my husband laughs and says, you know, I'm on the no fun diet version, you know, 15, um, as I've learned and progressed down that path. But in, in 2014, the first paper came out. Connecting the microbiome and Parkinson's and earlier that year I had read Martin Blazer's missing microbes and I was like that is it. The gut is the general ledger and that's what is kind of keeping track of of these ins and outs and what's going on and I quit what I was doing in commercial real estate turnarounds and founded the bio collective to look at the human microbiome and brought on a team of scientists and bioinformaticians. And we started to collect uh, stool samples and do whole genome sequencing, which in 2015, nobody was really doing. No, And uh, you know, building computational biology systems to see how all of that worked together because my hypothesis and my co-founder Suzanne's hypothesis was you know, we look at these singular diseases, but really the problem is at a metabolic level Mm -hmm. and it's shared across diseases. So um, if we could start to understand where those metabolic problems are and then address them by restoring the microbes, you know, we might make a difference in the health trajectory that we have.
0: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. So when you talk about that paper, when I was, um, I wrote like a, I guess, sort of like a dissertation at the end of my studies in nutrition school. And I did it on Parkinson's because at the time my aunt had been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And by the time she was diagnosed, because she lived alone, she was fairly advanced and she was relatively young and her Parkinson's progressed very, very fast. And she passed away. I would say three years after her, her uh, diagnosis. And, you know, that was when, so anyway, so I, I did my dissertation on Parkinson's and I too came across a paper and I don't know if it's the same one where it was a researcher who basically she'd gotten her hands on the stool samples of a whole bunch of people, and what they but but ten years prior to them developing any symptoms, mm. and what and what she had put forward as a hypothesis or or what they observed evidence of is that there was evidence of Lewy bodies in the gut first, and they were thinking that what they'd done is traveled up the nerves and landed in the brain. And she'd also found a link to olfactory nerves in the nose. And she had put forward this idea that is it possible that um, things like um, airborne environmental toxins like insecticides, pesticides, herbicides could also be contributing factors to a condition like Parkinson's. And I remember reading that thinking, wow, you know, like my aunt lived in a rural area area outside of boston she was a big gardener no she's one of seven kids nobody else had had any kind of neurodegenerative disease and i remember at the time going wow like that you know so i do you think is that the same paper or do you think it's a different one because it's it's a different
1: paper though i have i've read a number of the papers that connect um And there is a recent one on, so there was this Brock's hypothesis that was, you know, we're breathing something in through our nose that is initiating an infection or, and then that is moving to the gut and up the vagus nerve. Now there, there has been some work where they're showing, um, some people it can start first in the gut and some people it starts in the nose and those are different paths. The paper I saw was Dr. Philip Sheperhans from Finland who looked at um, fecal samples and was basically able to divide the two primary phenotypes. So you have people who are tremor dominant or people who yeah. are posture and gait and their microbiomes look very different, which, you know, is it was just remarkable to me. And the amount of research on the microbiome in Parkinson's since that paper in 2014 has just accelerated exponentially. Amazing. Well, thank
0: God, right? Because there's there's clearly something there. and And it's funny because when you look at what's coming out of the drug companies right now, like the latest drug that was just announced was something, and we're going to talk about this, going after the amyloid plaques. Because of course, in Parkinson's patients, we see this huge amount of plaque in the brain and the you know and the and the belief is that well it's blocking conduction of nerves it's this is a problem so we need to get rid of it and you will be the second person i've had a conversation with on this show who says no 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 breaking down that plaque is a massive problem because that plaque is there to basically sequester pathogens and stop them from doing what they're doing in the brain and breaking up that plaque actually releases, you know, releases the hounds as it were into the, into a system that is unable to clear it properly. So maybe you want to speak to that a little bit because, you know, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but I think this idea of amyloid plaque and what it is, and you were also talking about the alpha, the, the. Alpha-synuclein. Alpha-synuclein also, you know, all of these things, compounds being looked at as bad actors, but if we actually really start to understand why they're there and what they might be doing, kind of spins
1: that whole theory on its head. Sure. So uh, the the first researchers who really started talking about um, beta amyloid in Alzheimer's being an, an antimicrobial peptide were uh, Rudy's. Rudy Tanzi and Robert Moore at Harvard. I think it took them seven years to get one of their first papers published. It's now, mm-hmm. you know, pretty well accepted. Um, although, you know, there are, I guess I'll say, factions who are against the amyloid hypothesis. And right, uh, you know, it's always interesting when the paradigm starts to to change. And um, alpha synuclein, which is the protein that aggregates in Parkinson's, is also an antimicrobial peptide. And so, you know, we see increasing number of papers where it, you know, either viruses, the herpes virus has been implicated, um, uh, haemophilus influenza in some of our research is implicated. um, Some intracellular parasites have been implicated. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, you know, there are all these different mechanisms, um, the curly protein from E. coli. And so you get these peptides that are attempting to trap, capture and, you know, move through the system so that then when we sleep and the trash is taken out, if it's properly taken out, we can clear these things from our body. And I think this, you know, sleep disruption is a problem in people with Parkinson's, um, often with Alzheimer's as well. And if we can't get into that deep quality sleep, then that process of taking out the trash is, yeah. um, you know, so that's through the limit Right so that's through the glymphatic system
0: right that was only really identified not that long ago if you think yeah, about it yeah a few it. years ago
1: not yeah. not yeah
0: yeah so that's really interesting so okay and again you know this whole and, and it's so funny because well it's not funny it's so interesting that you're bringing to you're bringing forward those same bugs that um an earlier guest amy Jaramillo, who also deals heavily in Parkinson's, but also in ALS. And she's talking about EBV, the herpetic viruses, the tick-borne viruses, the all these diff- mold, like all of these different bugs that we can, and many of which we think of as going dormant, like EBV right. is dormant, the herpetics are dormant. And yet her position is they're not sleeping. They're messing with your immune system in the background. And we just,
1: we're just starting to figure out that there's they're driving processes. Could well, this- it's interesting because one of the early observations I had in talking to uh, people who had Parkinson's, I have these notebooks every time I meet somebody with Parkinson's, I'm taking notes about their life story. And um, many of them had a history of herpes cold sores. And until they got, about the time they got diagnosed with Parkinson's, in which case they no longer had herpes cold source, and you know i found that really interesting but what herpes does in order to remain latent in your uh nerves is it turns down your immune system yeah so it and by turning down your immune system then of course it's enabling all these other things to colonize you um that your immune system would have otherwise gotten r- rid of gotten yeah. rid of yeah. And so
0: when you talk about herpes cold sores, you're talking about HSV-1, like herpes cold sores in the mouth, because Amy talks about the where the cold sores um, present has to do with where that herpes virus is, is dormant, hanging out. Hanging yeah. out and then yeah. that, therefore, it affects that system. So people with genital herpes, for example, it's going to be like the nerves in the legs
1: mm-hmm. in the
0: lower extremities, whereas oral, like mouth cold sores, it's going to be in the neck. Like it's going to be up. The brain. so it's, gonna, it's more up. likely to affect the brain. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy because there's no real way to get rid of those
1: things. Is there that we know of? No, I mean, not, not, not that I know of. I mean, you need a, you need a robust immune system uh, to deal with that. But, you know, I, I sort of chuckle. I, uh, you know, just talking about toxins um, in my, microbiome analysis of looking at all these stool samples over time um, I got very focused on particularly looking at Parkinson's and what pathogens were in there and I ended up coming across this book it's called the Comprehensive source book of Bacterial Protein Toxins <laughs> Now that's fascinating reading for you. I mean it is fascinating,
0: but <laughs> and you <laughs> and know so what did it, you find? So what are you is, seeing in stool for Parkinson's patients, for example? What are you seeing the evidence? Like, are you seeing evidence of these herpes viruses or is it other
1: toxins and pathogens mostly? Well, it's it's other toxins and pathogens mostly that we've because you you won't typically see the intracellular or the things that mm. are hiding out in the nerves yeah. in a stool sample. Right. We, we see are a lot of toxin producing organisms. And, you know, that actually led me down a path of looking at something called molecular mimicry, which is sort of what overlapped in, you know, your beautiful world of peptides um, is, you know, um, molecular mimicry is basically structural similarity between antigens and you know, a peptide sequence is basically a short piece of genetic code, mm-hmm. plants, bacteria, fungi, viruses, parasites, everything, you know, produce these peptide sequences. And they're involved in intracellular communication. So, you know, in some ways I think, okay, these are ways that when we eat our food, we're getting information from the food and, yeah. and um, you know, th- these pieces of information. Um, but the gut is that interface for that intracellular communication. And microbes, you know, I like to say microbes can make or break just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we started looking at um, our genomic data from Parkinson's and seeing um, different uh, different genes or uh, types of stress so we could see there was iron stress there was um, oxidative stress nitrosative stress um and genes involved in glycosylation so and all of these little sort of pieces of the puzzle then played back into looking at what are the microbes that are producing these um, peptide sequences or you know, I call them sort of stress proteins. They go by another name called heat shock proteins as well. Mm -hmm. And that's where the interface kind of came together. Um, And I actually have a a group of researchers where we're looking at um, mycobacteria. You know, most people probably know that from tuberculosis. There are many kinds of mycobacteria, both good and bad. Um, Mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis is pretty prevalent in the milk supply. And they and mycobacteria makes uh, two peptide sequences. One is a heat shock protein sixty five, which is um, that's a section uh, in the genome that they use to to specifically identify the strain or species of a mycobacteria that is similar to the human heat shock protein sixty, okay. um, and then. Um- there's also another alpha crystalline that mycobacteria uh, produce. And that alpha crystalline is similar to human alpha B crystalline. And that's a, a sequence that is involved in the trafficking of misfolded proteins. And there, then there are intersections with that um, alpha crystalline with wheat, which is another area where we have a lot of... Um, basically autoimmune triggers. So the, what can happen is you start to build up because you have these microbes, you have these heat shock proteins, the immune system reacts to them, it produces antigens, and then it's looking through the body for similar sequences. And you know, some of our human uh, tissues have similar sequences. So, f-
0: so for the heat shock protein, because heat shock proteins, generally speaking, are a good thing. We go, we take saunas to to drive the production of heat shock proteins or the expression of heat shock proteins. But so in this case, this mycobacteria is expressing a similar enough heat shock protein that is like HS60, but it's HS65. And so as a result, does it does it do a different thing? Does it trigger a different response in the body or or it's triggering the immune system to say-
1: Go after that. Yeah, so what it's doing is you're, you are getting um, an immune system response to heat shock protein 65, but it is similar enough to heat shock protein 60 that the immune mm. system will will also attack that. And, I, you know, I can actually have a slide I can show sure. you that kind of shows those mechanisms. I know not everybody is going to so be. So, guys,
0: this will be on YouTube. So, if for those of you who are listening, if you want to geek out, with us and see the slide, just head over to YouTube
1: and um, and watch the video. So, you know, what this slide is, is uh, proposing, but also connecting to um, different pieces of the puzzle that we have identified either through our microbiome work or through uh, work with a researcher who is looking at blood samples of people with Parkinson's. So you get an altered microbiome with diet and antibiotics, um, you know, greater exposure and less ability to clear pathogens, this increased production of these heat shock proteins, alpha alpha crystalline, heat shock protein 65, and oh, I forgot to mention, it also makes cardiolipin. Mm-hmm. So you can get antibodies to all three of these. Well, uh, as I mentioned, um, alpha B crystalline, heat shock protein 60, um, handles uh, misfolded proteins. Um, cardiolipin is actually a, a mitochondrial membrane. Um, and, uh, let's see. And then heat shock protein 65, he- heat shock protein 60 does a number of beneficial things in the b- body. So, right. Then- so I
0: think, I sorry, just to recap for people who are listening, not watching. So the HSP 65 is the one we don't want that's produced by the heat shock protein 65 is produced by these pathogens or microbes. We have HSP 60 and alpha beta crystalline. Those things are beneficial to us. The alpha beta crystalline and the HSP 60 are beneficial. The 65 and the alpha crystalline are, are, are nefarious and the body gets confused and goes after our good stuff in addition to going after the bad stuff.
1: To exactly. Be, to be super Fine. simple. <laughs> that was great. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Thought that chair. But, I mean, that's one of the mechanisms we've looked at. And, we, you know, we've looked at uh, a number of things uh, uh, related to the Parkinson's microbiome and how these toxins in our immune system uh, reaction might actually uh, – have a, you know, have a connection between the food or the microbes. Um, one of them is Clostridium perfringens, which is really interesting because um, there was a MS paper that came out a couple of weeks ago uh, implicating Clostridium perfringens in MS. And there are, you know, a multitude of toxins that are produced by that particular Clostridium. Um, and where does and it,
0: where do people get it from? Like, where do you, how do you, how does Clostridium, thrive in one person's gut, not in another's.
1: You know, a lot of that c- comes down to, um, you know, antibiotic exposure, um, glyphosate exposure, actually, um, selects for clostridia. There's, uh, some researchers we're working with on the ag side who have shown in, um, agricultural animals, how uh, glyphosate laden food selects for clostridia and they end up with, um, as an example, cattle with botulinum neurotoxin. Um, and so a number of the clostridia can produce these these toxins. And what you have, you know, we're all exposed more and more to glyphosate um, yeah. residues in the food supply. Well, it... It selects for um, a certain gut profile of bacteria. So it's it's very toxic to the lactobacillus and bifidobacteria that are beneficial for us. And it selects for more of the path- pathogenic bacteria, mycobacteria being one of those species. Interesting. So there's a glyphosate link to this as well? Yes, there Obviously. is. Yeah. Wow. That's
0: quite something. Okay. You, in some of the slides that you sent me, you talk about the role also of LPA. Oh, actually let's go back to the whole issue of iron and oxidation. Um, Is it like, so are we saying it's excess iron? Yes. Because iron, basically we talk about excess iron, essentially rusting the body, which is an oxidative stress, right?
1: Yes. And there is lot there's a lot of literature um around uh parkinson's and iron and iron deposition in the brain so Um, too much iron and they're not clearing it somehow right and that and there's quite a bit of evidence in als of the implication of iron but what so iron feeds pathogens Mm -hmm. pathogens love iron and so the more iron you have the more likely you're to To carry a a more of a a pathogen load. But what the immune system does then um, is it is attempting to sequester that iron and keep it away from the pathogens. Well, in some cases, what it is doing to keep it away from the pathogens is actually storing it in your tissues Mm. and creating inflammation. So um, I've actually uh, been going through the training of the root cause protocol that is very much focused on iron and copper. And, you know, copper is necessary, a small amount of copper, but copper is necessary to recycle iron in the body. And without copper, which is depleted by glyphosate um, in the food supply, uh, kind of across the board, across the whole spectrum of the food supply, um, then we're not able to handle and recycle that iron.
0: Wow. So, so all these people running around supplementing iron really need to be watching out for that, and maybe paying more attention to copper.
1: Well, and that often what will present as anemia is actually the anemia of chronic inflammation, which is not that you don't have iron. It's not in the blood, it's in the tissues. And is and so, there a way to figure that out? Like, is there a way to see that? So That's there really is. Interesting. Um, Morley Morley has developed a panel that he calls the full Monty that yeah. looks at yeah. a number of uh, iron markers that they don't typically look at. And then also looks at a critical uh, protein called ceruloplasmin, which is a yeah. copper protein Yeah. Uh, and uh, serum copper. And looking at the minerals balance and some ratios around that to give you, um, uh, you know, some perspective on what's going on with iron in your body and how it may be stuck in your tissues.
0: And doesn't Morley, does Morley use hair tissue mineral analysis? Is he using HTMA as well? Like the ceruloplasmin test I'm familiar with, I generally you know, when I'm looking at people's genetic panels, there are certain people genetically that have a propensity to hang on to zinc or hang on to copper. And we talk about, you know, zinc and copper have a very also close and synergistic relationship. You want them in a particular ratio. So we talk about this roloplasmin test, you know, because again, like, you know, over the last couple of years, people were pounding the zinc, trying to hold, you know, whatever at bay. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Like, I mean, what about your copper? <laughs> and, and frankly, for some people, they do dump zinc. So they might need to take more zinc, but doing that ceruloplasmin test really gives us an idea of the zinc and copper ratio in the blood, or at least copper, right?
1: Well, it gives you an idea, but what, what's been so interesting in this journey with Morley um really going back deeply into the literature and research in, in copper and these really important copper enzymes. All, you know, all the enzymes of the mitochondrial respiratory chain are copper dependent. Um, but Ceruloplasmin, the blood test that you do doesn't tell you if the ceruloplasmin is loaded with copper or not. And if you go back to I think it's the 19 late 1960s, maybe early 1970s, Um, The research into ceruloplasmin showed that that, it was a protein that contained eight copper atoms, four plus two and four plus one. Now, with each decade that it has passed, um, the research shows less and less copper loaded into that protein. So, you know, maybe 10 years later, you saw the research showing that there were seven coppers. They didn't tell you the valence. Then there were six coppers. They didn't tell you the, va- the valence. The most uh, recent paper we've seen shows only five coppers. So um, so coppers you know, being depleted out of our systems by the
0: exposure to glyphosate, like the glyphosate is basic, I mean, or one of the mechanisms is uh, glyphosate.
1: Could be one of those mechanisms. It's interesting because if you go deeply down that rabbit hole into the uh, literature, actually estrogen impacts um, uh, the copper and ceruloplasmin. So, and they, you know, they, it it was interesting to me is there's all this research on how do we remove copper from ceruloplasmin and you sort of scratch your head like, why are you trying to remove copper from an important protein in the body? Like, Mm -hmm. why do you do that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why don't you want to understand more about how it gets loaded in there properly and making sure that it's stabilized instead of reaching, researching how to get it out of there.
0: OK, so going back to Morley, is he looking at HTMA to assess tissue levels of of the of them? Because he's looking at all the ratios. I mean, right. you know, I there's I know that yeah, there's but- two camps kind of in the HTMA world and he leads one
1: of them. Right. Yes. He is looking at HTMA as well. And whether you're a fast or slow oxidizer and and what's going on with the minerals, you know, coming out of your hair as an indicator. So it's sort of the blood and the, because it's hard
0: to, you know, know, unless you're going to biopsy muscle and different tissues, you're not going to be able to assess what's, what's sitting particularly. Um, so the hair tissue mineral analysis and the blood are the two things. And I guess they're correlating one against the other to try and get an sense of what's going on. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, hopefully everybody's still with us because to say that we're geeking out is an understatement. Let's start speaking English to people (laughs) and help people understand what does this all mean? What, what, what can I do about this? Why are some people getting Parkinson's and others not? How is your husband doing? And how are you helping him to ultimately, I mean, I'm guessing what you're doing with your husband right now is, what can we do to reduce the toxic load so that your immune system can continue to function and your body therefore can continue to function? So it's been 20 years. 20 years of living with Parkinson's for a 44-year-old guy is pretty impressive, right? Because my understanding is the younger you are at the you know, a diagnosis, the more likely you have to, you are to have a very aggressive course of Parkinson's or is that not necessarily true?
1: I don't, I don't think that is necessarily true. No. Okay. It's very much um, like we call it a designer disease because it presents in so many different ways in, in people. Yeah. Um, and I think so much of it has to do the course of Of progression, some of it at least has to do with your mental attitude. And, you know, are you keeping a positive outlook? Are you taking action? Are you not just sort of taking this at face value and sitting down and and waiting to go down the drain? And Mm -hmm. he's very active in exercise programs. There is a researcher at Cleveland Clinic who's shown that cycling can reduce the symptoms by 35% if you cycle at a certain number of or three three to four times per week, yes. Really? Um, And so, you know, that's been pretty amazing for him. I will say, you know, uh, we, so I, um, back in, at the end of 2016, I went to uh, World Parkinson's Congress and there was a group there called Clinic Crowd who was presenting the research um, from a scientist in Israel who showed that the sugar alcohol mannitol could stop the aggregation of the proteins. And I came back from that meeting and I was like, okay. So I bought this little mannitol chemistry book and started reading about mannitol, which is widely used in medicine. It is a super antioxidant. Hmm. Turns out it also chelates iron. And the first chapter of the book was all about a handful of microbes that make mannitol from glucose and fructose. And I was like, ooh, can (laughs) we put a system into the body? We're back to
0: systems. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, convert the glucose. Can we put back this system to convert glucose and fructose in the body and turn it into mannitol? And I had an advisor who uh, had spent, he was a fermentation, he's a fermentation chemist and he spent many years in the uh, probiotics industry. And we sat down and came up with this eight strain formula that we made for John. And at the time he was kind of having one of his down periods, he was walking with a cane and we were able to basically prototype in about 60 days, like a hundred bottles of this probiotic and wow. John started taking it. And we were at that time we were sequencing his stool samples pretty frequently. I mean, he has over 125 or 30 fecal samples, a uh, whole genome sequence. I mean, thousands of dollars worth of sequencing. Wow. And we started to see his microbiome moving back closer to the healthy human microbiome project and he stopped walking with the cane and we're like okay well there's something to this but you know even at that time we were just sort of handing it out to different people and having them try it cuz we were still focused on our stool collection and building this big sample bank and trying to mm-hmm. you know get the world to work together on what yeah. problem which you're Probably never going to get to do.
0: Um, and well, so, if you can and, get at least some of the right people in the world working
1: together, then yeah. as you which, are, right, yeah, which is which, what you've done. Yeah, which is what we have done. Anyway, we and when COVID kind of set in, we actually moved out of all that scientific uh, scientific tools and research, and we finished a big project from an NIH grant, and so we decided to okay, let's let's bring this product to market, mm-hmm. and so you know then started getting amazing feedback from different people and uh with glucose regulation which of course it's converting glucose and fructose and so last summer we actually um much easier from a measurability standpoint to look at uh people with diabetes or blood sugar issues and so my uh chief scientific officer dr cano um was actually born in cuba and we went to cuba where we were able to do a clinical trial at a much lower cost than we would have been here in the US and um showed the uh, changes in the microbiome and then also you know fasting blood glucose postprandial blood glucose insulin homa ir and serum lipopolysaccharide which was this was kind of my I was like okay we need to measure serum lipopolysaccharide and you know, at first they're like, "Why?" Well, there there is ample evidence in um, in diabetes uh, mm-hmm. of this marker, but there is actually a mouse model of Parkinson's called the LPS-induced Parkinson's model. And I'm like, okay, like why aren't you asking yourself where's the LPS coming from? Let's get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Kind of crazy. So, um, you know, we brought the product to market at uh, in 2021, and you know, have started to uh, look at possibly, you know, going the medical food route because we're we actually can't talk about the diabetes clinical trial uh, without going down a medical food route. I mean, it's some of the things in the way you know between supplements and drugs and all that are are pretty crazy when you're just trying to help Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So so
0: without naming conditions other than maybe parkinsons because there seems to be a benefit to the parkinsonian patient who has that issue in the gut of taking of getting accessing this strain of probiotic that converts glucose and fructose into mannitol which has all these amazing benefits so there's a benefit to the parkinsons patient and again like you're not saying are you saying it's across cuz You know, because one of the things you and I talked about at the last conference we met at is that Parkinson's and it's like all of these diseases, even ALS and Alzheimer's, it's really a spectrum and different people exhibit different different collections of symptoms from each spectrum, right? But for the Parkinson's population right now, which is the one we're talking about the most, are you seeing that that something that can basically convert glucose fructose into manitol? seems to have benef- fairly wide-ranging benefits for that population or is it really specific to the certain types of parkinson's people
1: and then you know yeah. yeah we we have not studied that specifically but the feedback from our customers a lot of it has been focused on um on uh, basically bowel regularity Chronic constipation precedes a diagnosis of Parkinson's in, in many people, probably 70, 80% by 10 to 15 years. And if you think about that, that's waste that has a lot of those toxins sitting, sitting in the G, GI tract. So the immune system is having to deal more and more with that toxin load. So just by getting the, you know, the toxin load moving and, you know, another sort of tie in to the m- molecular mimicry at the at the uh, beginning. So mannitol, again, upregulates something called aquaporin-4, mm-hmm. which uh, is a, you know, controls fluid movement um, in different parts of the body. And there are, um, you know, again, corn and soy have these aquaporin-4s where you can have some autoimmune mechanism against that. So, so I they're think-
0: different, but they're yeah. different aquaporin. Like again, it's right. it's back to that right. HSP 60 versus HSP 65. Right. The corn and soy are aquaporin, aqua, what is it's it? It's like aquaporin four
1: homolog. So it's basically- they're homolog.
0: So they're not the aquaporin four that we want. They're the aquaporin four that we don't want. And the body, the immune system can get confused between the two and go after both basically.
1: Right. And so aquaporin 4 uh, is upregulated by mannitol. And mannitol is also, you know, it's an osmotic diuretic. So it pulls some fluid into the colon. I also, um, you know, hear that it, uh, you know, people have improved sleep and improved energy. Um, you know, there's a lot of mechanisms around how it helps the mitochondria. It produces, it increases the production of, uh, or, the presence of butyrate producing genes and butyrate of course feeds the gut lining. Yeah. I think um just the the mechanism of the formula also produces um a a capsule that's kind of like snot or mucus if you will. And so I <laughs> think mucus is a much better word than snot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but but you know uh mucus, the mucus lining is part of what protects us from leaky gut. And so yeah. I think it's You know, it helps with that too. So, you know, when we see that decline in serum LPS in the diabetes study, you know, we think it's partly, it's supporting a healthier uh, gut barrier. Um, So you get less LPS crossing over and then it's removing those sugars that actually feed the gram negative bacteria that make the LPS.
0: Really interesting. You have different formulas of your probiotic that target specific things. But do they all have the strain of bacteria or probiotic or I guess bacteria that that converts the manitol that converts the glucose and fructose into manitol, or is that specific
1: to the sugar formula? So uh, we do have a base uh, that does the glucose and fructose conversion that is part of the sugar shift formula and uh, the sleep formula and our ideal immunity. Uh, then we have an antibiotic formula and a heart that are the mechanisms are different. But one of the key strains that's in every one of our formulas is uh, our strain that is unique to us of lactobacillus plantarum that actually has two pathways for breaking down the, um, glyphosate beyond uh, what most microbes will do, which is converted to AMPA. So we do feel, and we're looking at how we might be able to measure this more effectively than just in our laboratory showing that it can break down, um, Glyphosate, but that part of what it's doing to help people is actually detoxifying the exposure to glyphosate, which then allows their microbiome to flourish with more healthier, with a healthier profile of microbes.
0: That's so interesting because you know that the whole discussion around glyphosate is fraught with despair because at the end of the day, it's glyphosate is here; it's not going anywhere, especially if we're in North America. But I. I think honestly it's only a question of time before it makes its way around the world like it's just going to you know it it permeates the water it permeates the ground it's unfortunately even with organic food although the food itself is not being sprayed you know if if the
1: groundwater is being contaminated well, the manure so organic food uses um, conventional manure and the uh, you know I'm actually involved in a study where we looked at poultry manure that was used on some organic um, crops and it they've used four tons of poultry manure per acre and it was um, eight tenths of a pound of glyphosate per ton so you're putting almost Four pounds of glyphosate on an organic crop. So, and that's this has been a passion of mine since I all the way back early figuring out the connection with food and what we were doing. And uh, my chief scientific officer is the primary owner of an ag company called Ancient Organics Biotechnology. And my company owns a a minority interest in it. And it is focused on making uh, microbes that will increase and improve yield while breaking down glyphosate in a very short window of time because farmers won't play, pay to clean up their soil, but they'll pay for the yield. Yeah. And so we some products we're bringing to market that can do that, but it's also in the ag industry, you know, people don't want to admit that there's a problem.
0: That's so interesting, but the organic farmer does.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think if course, you yes. if
0: you inform the organic farmer about this, and more importantly that there's a there's potentially a solution, I would imagine you'll end up with a stampede. Like you know, I mean, at least that far, that population of people who is serving a population of people that actually cares, right? You would think would stand up and put their hands up and go over here.
1: You hope. I hope. I mean I do I mean I think the awareness around what glyphosate is doing what it does to our gut is deplete, deplete the good bacteria it does the same thing to the soil so then you end up with less vitality in the soil microbiome which is what you know again is that transport of those important minerals across the gut across the roots that's how the nutrients are getting to us and so if we don't have those microbes to deliver the nutrients um, you know, we can't be healthy. The plants can't be healthy. The animals can't be healthy.
0: Yeah. It's that whole concept of overfed and undernourished. You can exactly.
1: eat, right?
0: Yes. I mean, you can eat, but if you can't access the nutrients in your food, then, you know, you're getting the en- the caloric energy, but you're not getting the micronutrients, which I think, you know, in many cases, when we think about, there's been a lot of discussion around people who are very overweight and eat a lot. Is there, is there some mechanism as well where the body is detecting deficiencies and is trying to get those nutrients and so driving this hunger? I mean, look, there's a million different reasons for overeating. There's emotional, There's there's a ton, right. but could that be like a little piece of the puzzle
1: in certain cases? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, like, I don't want to geek out too far, but I sent you a very geeky paper a few weeks ago about something called the PAM enzyme, which um, is a copper dependent enzyme. It requires two atoms of copper and it controls uh, the activation of 279 peptides and hormones and, you know, insulin, ghrelin oxytocin vasopressin like down 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 the list you, you know they cannot be activated without copper uh, without that copper dependent enzyme and so i think as long as you are copper deprived um you know if you're getting that signal to make more make more it's not because it's not act it's not activated to where it can be used
0: Hey guys, just a quick moment, a quick break from this episode to share one of my favorite places to purchase oral peptides leveluphealth.com. Level Up offers exceptionally high-quality supplements that cannot be found elsewhere. Their main product, Ultimate GI Repair, is the most effective all-in-one gut healing supplement that I've seen. It contains BPC-157, along with other compounds that have a synergistic effect and actually deliver results, helping you achieve your health goals, such as improving gut health and healing, detoxifying liver, reducing inflammation, even supporting brain function, or optimizing overall health. In addition to Ultimate GI Repair, Level Up also provides KPV, Tudka, a comprehensive liver complex, PEA, and much, much more. What sets them apart is that each product formulation is specifically designed to target certain health objectives and provides the nutrients at therapeutic dosages, minimizing the need to take multiple products and offering a simplified all-in-one solution. To find out more, check out their website at www.LevelUpHealth.com. Now Level has no ease in it to explore the full range of unique products Level Up has to offer. And if you decide to place an order, don't forget to use code NAT10 for a 10% discount. Now let's get back to the episode. And you know, copper comes up in the peptide world as well with the GHK, copper peptide, which itself activates over a You know, and so it's fascinating to me that copper is such a critical component metal, really, like micro mineral, if you will, in the body. And it's not about guys, it's not about running out and pounding a bunch of copper. It's about trying to understand these interrelationships, even with other minerals like the iron and the zinc, and trying to kind of get a handle on. And to your point, why is the copper not there? right? And if glyphosate is at the root of that issue, then if we can have something that actually breaks down the glyphosate in the gut, that becomes a first line of defense. So let's get back to the Parkinson's discussion a little bit. Let's talk about John. How's he doing? We know that he kind of was able to free himself of his cane, at least for a period of time when you introduced this probiotic strain into his diet. How's he done since then? Because that was a while ago.
1: Yeah, so it's pretty interesting um, in that uh, process. So there's something called the UPDR score, and that is how they score how advanced your Parkinson's is. And the higher the number, the worse off you are. So, you know, in 2017, when he started the probiotic, he was a score of a 35. And uh, a year later, he had dropped his score to a 20. He stayed steady at 19 or 20, uh, for the next four years. And his neurologist mm-hmm. was just amazed. And, um, then he got COVID at the end of oh. 2017, um, 2017. No, uh, wait, know, there's must- a lot. Of- <laughs> I mean, sorry, not 2017,
0: uh, December 2021.
1: <laughs> sorry. The end of 2021. Sorry. And, um, you know there's a lot with mecul- mm-hmm. molecular mimicry and that spike protein so there are 138 human tissues that are homologous to that spike protein and so i started looking at that because he had a lot of um long covid symptoms and you know dysregulation of uh you know blood pressure um uh Heart rate, like a, a lot of different things going on, and one of the things that we actually did that had the most benefit to him in moving beyond those long COVID symptoms uh, was the prolonged fasting really? diet. So we instituted. I mean, it just he had lost so much weight from the COVID. You know, we were like, okay, doing a just a fast with no food. Um, it just. I think wasn't practical and from a stress level. So every five to six weeks he would do a prolonged fast mimic. And he did that for six months in a row. And at the, you know, on the fifth day of that fast, every time he was remarkably better. So, and if, you know, we think about in Parkinson's, that autophagy is not working. We're not getting the clean out done. And when you do that, um, fast mimicking, or if you can do a fast, you're going to kick off autophagy and start to clean up some of that trash. And so he's been getting better and better and better. So now he's back. um, Like a a year ago, he would not have been able to do most of his um, biking programs and activities like that. So he's back, uh, you know, doing his biking programs every day and out at the YMCA and uh, you know, working on setting up programs here like he had in Colorado. Yeah. Well, so, that is um, remarkable,
0: right? Because Parkinson's is a condition where you only go in one direction. There's only one direction to go, and for some, well, well, that's, that's what I mean. Like, you. I mean, that's the verdict <laughs> from conventional medicine: is there's only one direction you're going to go, and and yet here you have an individual who has not only like held the line but improved to a point. You you know, where nobody's running around saying the C word by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, holding ground against a a degenerative disease is pretty impressive. And so are you working with other people as well? Like, you know, John can't be the only guy you're working with. Are you, are you having success, you know, some measure of success with other people as well? And, and I would imagine would, you know, He's, he's basically claiming he gets to eat the diet that fun forgot. So diet, lifestyle, sleep, all those things are dialed in for him. But are you able to work with other people and help them along in in, in some way?
1: So, well, I have a, um, you know, in addition to my probiotics business, um, I actually, I have a blog called Martha's Quest, where I write about some alternative um you know, stress management, the microbiome. I, I do a lot about the microbiome. I speak at Parkinson's groups about the microbiome and how to support a healthy microbiome. You know, obviously I'm I'm not a one-on-one oh, yeah. uh, practitioner, but I talk to, you know, I talk to my customers a lot and, you know, I'd spread the word a lot about, uh, you know, Morley and the root cause protocol because, you know, there is ample evidence of um, iron and copper dysregulation in, in Parkinson's and, you know, the the nutritional deficiencies um, that are putting stress on the body. So, uh, you know, I do talk to people mm-hmm. a lot one on one and give them some, you know, you might look at this sure. book or you might listen to, you know, like the podcast that you had with Amy um or uh, you know different pieces of the puzzle to try to help yeah. empower them, because I think the other thing and one of the biggest turning points for John was when I stopped laying out and saying do this 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 and this and he took Good accountability control. himself yeah. and I said you yeah, know these are this is all the research these are the things I've done this is for you to look at and decide but you must take responsibility and accountability. Um, or, you know, your, your path and your journey. Um, yeah. In oh, and
0: that's huge. Right. Because I think the first thing that happens when you get a diagnosis like this is your hands fall by your sides and you're like, okay, I'm done. And to your point, you've said this now a couple of times, it's, it's refusing to lay down the arms and actually picking up your arms and saying, all right, what are we going to do about it? And, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited to record this podcast with you as technical as we got is, Really, to communicate to people, it's a it's a nasty diagnosis. You nobody wants to hear those words, but it's not the end of the line. You know, there are people who are making progress. There are things you can do. Let me ask you another question. There, I'm sure you're familiar. I mean, you you're so well read and you've done so much research. I'm sure you've heard about the guy that put the red lights in his bucket in a bucket and put the bucket on his head, but also was doing these walking protocols. Like he wasn't just throwing red light. But are you? Are you tapping into this whole red light
1: kind of world for John? Yes, actually, yeah, uh, we've tapped into red light and even uh, other spectrum. So the actually the researcher at the uh, University of Denver's Center for Aging that I'm working on with the polyamines in blood also works with the engineers there and he made a cap for John that has a like, yeah. full light spectrum uh band on it and it's it is pretty amazing. Um one day I had to take it over to his house because we were having some technical issues and he and um, Dr. Luis Her- Herrera were there. Um and John was pretty tired and when he gets tired he just loses facial expression. And so they were tweaking the the uh cap and Then got it working and John came over and sat down in the chair and they put it on his head and they turned on the white light and his face, like it was almost instantaneous. And Dr. Louise, he goes, I've never seen anything like that. So, you know, we do, you know, we have light therapy. We have, um, we have an infrared sauna. Um, I have a hydrogen machine over there. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not any like Mm -hmm. single thing that, that we are constantly sort of looking at and tweaking and um, working on what are these things that can support him, but more and more also building on how he can detoxify and get the appropriate nutrition, which actually led us to move to a farm where we could grow our own. That's amazing.
0: Right. I mean, that's good for you. I mean, you're in the boat with him, right? You're not, you're not, you're not. And And you're rowing hard. hard. It's interesting. You mentioned hydrogen because I was going to mention that I had a client who had Parkinson's years ago and I had, you know, I was encouraging her to, Adopt the Terry Walls protocol diet, which is a very nutrient dense diet. Um, leans towards a ketogenic kind of plan. Yep, we we do get, we eat yeah. a lot of her and. Recipes but one of life. the things, yeah. and you know, and one of the things I had suggested to her is to use molecular hydrogen because there are some really interesting studies around molecular hydrogen and Parkinson's, and. Again, like we're this is a woman where I was working in collaboration with a doctor, and the doctor saw her a year after we started, she implemented some of these things, and called me up and said she's actually gotten better from from a year ago. Which, mm-hmm. but the molecular hydrogen, she would say that she woke up in the morning craving it. There was something about the high. She said it gave her more. It gave her her the way she described it is it gave her brain more energy. Like she was able to function better. I mean, we lost touch because unfortunately, her family was less supportive than you are. I mean, I hope that she kept up with everything. but but it was interesting in that year window how diet and the molecular hydrogen really made a massive difference in in her ability to function,
1: yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing uh, what you can do if you're open minded and you, you know, start to to look at this and food is really a big part of that base. But of course, you know, hydrogen is the most active. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's a massive
0: piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah. Hydrogen, carbon, yeah, pretty big, pretty big deal. So your formulas are not just, just to bring this back to anybody who's listening. This is not just for the Parkinson's crowd. Like every one of us has to deal with and everybody's body deals with it differently but when every one of our bodies has to deal with the glyphosates, with the sugars, which all the things. And so we inherently would all benefit from a tool that would help our microbiome be more balanced in the presence of excess glucose and fructose, excess glyphosate. So you have a variety of different formulas to address different situations. Do you recommend that people just take them all or are there certain times when you should take one and not the other? I mean, sugar shift to me feels like kind of like an everyday thing.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we, we do think of sugar shift as like an everyday thing um, because it is supporting that uh, metabolic function and metabolic flexibility. So we've had, you know, people on the keto diet who hit a wall who take sugar shift and then are able to get back in ketosis. Um, so that's, uh, you know, been, so, uh, you know, I think it's like a little ketosis in a pill maybe. Um, and, um, you know, it's just supporting overall metabolism. And again, it's lowering that LPS it's improving insulin sensitivity and, um, we also produce uh, fructose in our body when we're under stress. Didn't realize that until I read yeah. Dr. Richard Johnson's book. So, you know, again, it's it's just going to help overall um, uh, support that. Ideal immunity um, has some of the same core as the Sugar Shift formula, um, but it actually has a strain of bacteria uh, that is very targeted at foodborne mm. pathogens, so, you know, it kills listeria, salmonella E. coli. So often recommend that to somebody who's had uh food poisoning or keep it in your, you know, keep it in stock if in you're case traveling. you get food like poisoning. Or yeah. Foreign travel. Yep. Yeah. Foreign travel. Or if you eat out at salad bars and things like that a lot where you're likely to get exposed that you may want to just uh take a capsule for that. We have one called the antibiotic antidote that is um was made because we looked at some of the research around probiotics after you've taken antibiotics and they actually were detrimental oh, yeah. to the microbiome. And so we ran our computational modeling. Um, and part of the issue with many of the uh, formulas is they're too acidic. And so we designed a formula that balances mm-hmm. pH in order to enable uh, a better restoration of the microbiome. We have a, uh, a product called Heart Center that supports uh, nitric oxide production and cardiovascular health at the microbiome level. level, Yeah. And then um, our most recent, we launched last summer, uh, Simple Slumber, which it has a little bit of tryptophan in the formula, uh, but um, it actually produces bacterial melatonin and bacterial tryptophan and works for about seven hours to, um, you know, support, uh, quality sleep. Um, and we've had some pretty interesting other side benefits that, uh, people have, uh, reported to us on heart rate v- variability and things like that. that that's on the heart interesting one from that, yeah. but we do. Tell people, yeah, on that's the on the one. sleep okay. one actually. And, uh, and, and, you know, if, we do have people who take more than one product but we are we try to be clear that you should never take them at the same time because they are designed with computational systems biology to be a working team and so you don't want to throw some other probiotic in to the team it's like putting two lines on mm. your factory at the same time so Um, you know, we always say separate it by two hours from any other probiotic that you're taking so that the system can work and produce. So what what about between uh, your
0: products? Like if, if I'm taking sugar shift, well, I guess if I'm taking sugar shift, sleep and ideal immunity, I would take sleep in the evening, sugar shift in the morning. And then would I take ideal immunity with one of the other ones or should I take it
1: separately as well? You know, I would take it separately you know, two, okay. two hours separately. Um, I have like more of the people who take multiple ones will take, they'll take either heart-centered and simple slumber or ideal immunity and simple slumber or sugar shift and simple slumber. I have some people who take sugar shift, heart-centered and simple slumber and they, you know, take one in the morning, yeah. and one in the daytime. And, uh,
0: and they all mean, go but, after um, glyphosate. They all have the strain that breaks down glyphosate. They all
1: have the strain that goes after glyphosate, and there's no amount of they glyphosate
0: that's good. So you can't kind of can't overdo that. Okay, Miss Martha, thank you. Is there anything that you
1: wanted to address that we did not speak to today? We could go on for hours, but I think we covered we covered yeah. a lot of ground, and I'm just very grateful for the time here and for anyone who's listening to you. There are things that you can do to make a difference in your health um, and your course of, if you want to call mm-hmm. it, dis-ease. Um, you know i think it's all metabolic imbalance and there are things that you can do to restore balance yeah. well, to the system well thank you that's
0: super inspirational and very true and also guys like don't forget that there's also in addition to taking things there's enabling the detoxification pathways in your body through sauna and fasting are really important so there's free things you can avail yourselves of at the same time supporting sleep improving the diet like all of those things in addition to, and I think it's always important to bring that back that, you know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether it's high performance, coming back from disease, as you say, or, you know, restoring metabolic balance, it's always going to boil down to these basics before you can kind of raise the bar. So, Martha, thank you so much for the work that you do. It's been a pleasure having you here. And also Martha generously created a discount code for the for you guys, for the listeners, and that's NAT1515. And that'll save you 15% off any purchase on the website, which you're going to tell us how people can find you, Martha. So I think on Instagram, on your website, and your blog. So on
1: Instagram, it's at Biotiquest. Um our website is Biotiquest.com and that's B-I-O. T I Q U E S T and then my blog which is Martha's Quest and that's M A R T H A S Q U E S T marthasquest.com Martha's
0: <laughs> amazing all right well martha thank you so much again it's always a pleasure and i'm sure that we'll get to chat again in at some point because you'll keep making these awesome discoveries
1: <laughs> thanks so much for having me i really enjoyed it Thanks so
0: much for joining me on this episode of the biohacking superhuman performance podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, mattnidham.com.